Today is the last message that you're going to hear for the moment on the Beatitudes. This is the eighth one. We finally made it. Someone said after the first service, when I got here this morning, I thought, oh no, one more. (laughs) I thought about that. I thought about that after the first service, and it occurred to me that if these Beatitudes have become dull over eight weeks, it's not the Beatitudes problem, it's the preacher's issue. I appreciate that. But these Beatitudes are so full of power and life, the gospel is found in every one of them. I will admit that as I was preparing uh, for the message this morning, while I was at home in Texas taking care of my mother, that I found this last one to be most difficult. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Difficult because it seems like it's a little bit removed from our circumstance. And it sounds like it applies to some person in another part of the world could be so. So the challenge was for me to think about how is it real for us in our setting. Let me point out to you before I read the beatitude though, this one other thing I noticed about it is, it said blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now there are people all over the world that are persecuted for their faith, but he doesn't say they're blessed are you Christians who are persecuted for righteousness sake. It's anybody that's persecuted for righteousness sake. He's talking about anybody that's persecuted for doing the right thing for anyone, regardless of what religion you belong to. Because there are people all over the world persecuted for doing the right things. That's what he's talking about here. He then later on brings it to himself. He says, blessed are you when people say bad things about you because of me. And what that means is because of me, meaning the way that you choose to love others. How you live your life, not what you say. It's not the things that we say that bring us trouble, it's what we do. When we begin to challenge others in the way they think, and we begin to love others the way Jesus loved us. Well, I'm starting to preach. Let me just read it. Beatitudes, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Are you ready for the word? Okay. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the reading of the word of God and God's people did say. I want to tell you two stories this morning. I want to tell you a story of Pulaski Heights. Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. This congregation is a sacred and holy place for me. After my wife, Teresa, uh, went through her divorce and was a single mom and was really struggling, she was welcomed to this church with loving arms. The minister of this church reached out to my wife. Uh, She was working at a restaurant. He invited her to come to church. And this was a place of healing and hope for my wife to be. Didn't know her at the time. 
She went to this church. The church was a hodgepodge of all kinds of people. Very loving, small, kind church. And they just wrapped their arms around her. About 50 or 60 people on Sunday morning. And some of the most unusual people ever gathered in one room together. It was an unusual church. The minister's name was Reverend Arnold Nelson. And Reverend Nelson uh, knew me. He was a friend of mine and uh, was concerned about my singleness. And invited me to lunch uh, to the restaurant where my wife worked, and I met her, and then you know the rest of the story. I was thinking about that this weekend, that um, our son should probably call up Reverend Nelson and thank him, because there would be no Alex if it wasn't for Reverend Nelson. So this is a special place for us. We love this church, and it's still doing great ministry in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now let me take you back in time to 1957 and tell you another story about Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, The city of Little Rock in 1957 was thrown into a very difficult racial crisis as a result of the decision made in the Supreme Court, Brown versus the Board of Education, in 1954, which declared that segregation of schools was unconstitutional. In 1957, there were Uh, nine students who were selected to be a part of the integration of the all-white, prestigious, best high school in the city of Little Rock, Central High. You've probably heard of the famous Little Rock Nine. After this took place, when uh, it was discovered that they were going to desegregate the school, the public school, the governor at the time, by the name of Orville Faubus, sent out the Army National Guard from Arkansas, the Arkansas Army National Guard, to stand at the door of the school and to prevent these nine students uh, from entering the school. Interesting story is the very next day, Dwight Eisenhower federalized them and then used them to allow them to enter the school. But on this day, uh, this young woman, Miss Eckford, Elizabeth Eckford, E-E-C-K-F-O-R-D, was one of the nine who did not get the notice that they were going to go to school together for safety. So she arrived at school by herself and was met by an angry, angry mob, cursing, spitting, yelling, giving her a really difficult time. And then she was confronted by the uh, Army National Guard. As you can imagine, it it was a horrible, difficult, painful, ugly scene, an ugly scene from the history of Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, back to Pulaski Heights Christian Church. The minister at the time that this took place, his name was Bill, I mean, Bert Cartwright. Here's a picture of Bert. Bert is the minister all the way on the left. These are four ministers who had gathered together for some reason or other who were all former ministers of the church with the new present minister, Colbert Cartwright, a Disciples of Christ minister, the shorter man on the end. He was so outraged by what had happened at Central High School that day and embarrassed by the actions of the mob and embarrassed for his city that he decided he couldn't stay silent. He had to say something about it. He had to speak out against the the crowd in support of desegregation of these these nine students. So in the week that followed, after that Monday, after this incident took place, he went to the home of this young girl, Elizabeth, and met her, met her family, found out all these things about her, and then went back on Sunday and preached a sermon titled Elizabeth Eckford. That was the name of the sermon. He then told her story. He talked about her dreams of becoming a lawyer. He read from the Psalms that Elizabeth had read that morning 
before she went to school to give her courage to go. He then spoke about how he was embarrassed and he was ashamed of what had taken place. Now I want to point out to you, that day, that next Sunday, there were only two, three, four ministers of all the white ministers in the whole city who dared even bring the topic up. And he was one of three or four white ministers in the whole city who did anything at all about it. Now, he was a normally quiet, shy man who did not seek public attention. But in this moment, he was pretty bold and pretty courageous, and he looked at the congregation and he said to them, he says, I want to tell you that any person, that white people that don't understand that these nine students deserve the same opportunity as anybody else, that these nine students are created in the sacred image of God and have beautiful souls that don't understand, are in danger of losing their souls, and then he looked at his congregation and he said, and she has more guts than any of us in this room. Many of the people on that day appreciated the sermon, but others did not. The next Sunday, there was an entire Sunday school class. Tempers boiled over the coming week. There was an entire Sunday school class made up of 30 people who refused to leave their classroom after Sunday school to go to worship and asked that communion be brought to them. They were refused. The next week, those 30 members plus another group left the church and joined another congregation. What happened to the church was, and the fallout was, that the church lost 10% of its membership because of the actions of the minister. Now, I will point out to you that this was not the end of Reverend Cartwright's commitment to civil rights. Uh, the church itself became actively involved in supporting these nine students. And when 40 teachers were fired for supporting desegregation of Little Rock Public Schools, this church stood in protest with them to help them get their jobs back. Sometime after all this took place, after all this took place, uh, the church received an anonymous, sizable gift to purchase a stained glass window in honor of their minister and what he did. It was interesting. There was a member of the church, longtime member of the church, who said this, I am puzzled why anyone would give money to our church to buy a stained glass window because our minister did the morally right thing. He just did what he was supposed to do. Why is anybody honoring that? Isn't that what our minister is supposed to do? To stand up for the right things? It's interesting that Burt Cartwright would later go to Texas and he would become the pastor of the church. I had no knowledge of this. Become the pastor of the church that was my college church that ordained me. And he would become the area minister that supervised my, my ordination. And what was interesting about all this is I never heard him once talk about any of this. He never, he never spoke. He was a shy man. He was a quiet man. But his entire life, he made his commitment to defending those who needed someone to speak for them and to help them and to stand up for someone whose rights were being denied. What happened was, after they lost the 10% of the membership, is it, I maybe already said this, but it collapsed their building program, and they were never able to build a new sanctuary. Instead, they just had to put bricks around the existing uh, white structure. Church never became a large church after that, but continued to stand for these sorts, of, and became the first open and affirming congregation in the state of Arkansas uh, in the 90s, when that was a very uh, unpopular thing to do. Let me ask you, let me just ask a question. I've been thinking about this. If you were standing in front of God, who would you rather be? 
Orville Faubus. History, history tends to show us whether actions were true or not, right? Would you rather have been one of the 30 people who left? Would you rather have been one of the white ministers who didn't say anything? It was just quiet for whatever reason. Or would you rather have been Bert Cartwright? I think that's what Jesus mind when he said, Blessed are you when you stand up for those who have no one to stand up for them. Blessed are you because of righteousness. Righteousness meaning what you do on behalf of others. Blessed are you when you stand up and it costs you something. Blessed are you when you put aside the cost. You don't do the reasonable thing. You don't do the polite thing. You don't do the political thing. You stand up and speak out and step out and you do the right thing. Blessed are you when you're reviled and marginalized and pushed aside and condemned and criticized for those kinds. I think that's what this means. This is an example. Let me give you a a more extended example, another one. So recently... Uh, in California, there's a minister that's been serving a church there for 50 years. Uh, his name is John MacArthur, and I've read uh, a lot of his commentaries and listened to his sermons. He's been preaching at the same church for 50 years, and he was having a conference called Truth Matters. And in this uh, conference, he was talking about all kinds of subject matters, and people are asking him questions, and they begin to ask him how he felt about women ministers. They then asked him, how do you feel about Beth Moore? Now, Beth Moore is a long-term, long-term, decades-long uh, preacher, teacher. A lot of women in our church, raise your hand if you've ever read a Beth Moore study all over the church. Look, taught women all over our church. She had preached at a, another church somewhere. And someone asked a man who had been a staunch supporter of all male, male clergy what he thought of Beth Moore. And he says two words, go home. Well, it's terribly misguided. We, we know that. I, I'm not trying to judge him in any way. Um, but it's interesting that even today, even with all the biblical evidence of supporting of women in ministry, that we still have places that hold out that want to deny women their opportunities uh, for ministry and to preach. And by the way, we all know that if the church did not have women leaders and preachers, nothing would ever get done. Because men just, <laughs> men just talk about things and don't generally do anything. The... the and, and, and if you look at the history of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, the reality is that the reason we have a mission, we have missions in our church, is because women got tired of waiting men, for men to do stuff and started doing stuff. I, I'm proud to be a part of a church that's for decades has ordained women and supported women. I'm proud that we belong to a church that uh, ordained its first uh, woman elder in the state of Kentucky. All those things make me proud. I'm happy. I'm happy that we belong to a church that's had a long list of fine preachers from Mary Lou Miller to Faye Napier uh, to Martha Gibbs to Miriam George to Monica, Monica Lewis to uh, Dolly Mills and to Rachel Freeney. All wonderful gospel preachers. Now here's the other part of the story, the rest of the story. So I was a college student. I was happy. I was excited. I had a roommate named Jeff Howe. We used to stay up all night. Uh, talking theology and having a good time. We're going to change the world, all this kind of stuff. So we get a scholarship, go off to Vanderbilt, get a full ride, and I'm sitting in, in an office of an, office, an administrator. There's Some women students came with us from TCU, and I'm sitting there, and I have to get my check, my tuition check. He hands me the check. And then he says, offhandedly, he says, well, you know, I can't give this check to so-and-so who was a woman, woman in the seminary. I said, why? He says, well, because I just... He raised money. It was a little slush fund he had that paid for people. He says, I can't, he says, I can't um, give her a check in good conscience because I don't think she'll be able to support herself as a woman and a minister. 
Well, I was stunned, but I took my check. Didn't say anything. It was going to actually cost me. It's easy to sit up all night and talk about what you're going to do and then not do it. You know, and it was a, was a tragedy as I left, I left Vanderbilt with no debt. She left with debt, and she is ever a bit the minister that I ever hoped to be. You know, Jesus didn't say, blessed are you when you do the reasonable thing, when you do the practical thing, when you do the thing that's, that, the means, he didn't say, blessed are those when you do the means, how the means and justify the end. He didn't say any of those sorts of things. He just said, blessed are you when you do the right thing. Following me is going to cause you to stand up for the people that are on this list, the poor, the meek, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst. When you do that, when you stand up and you defy power and you speak truth to power, it's going to cost you something. He didn't say, David, blessed are you when you take the check because you might be able to help a lot of people later. He didn't say that. Now, I was talking to, to Rachel Freeney about this. And I said, Rachel, should I share this story? It's not, a, it's not a good story. I don't like that. She said, you should share the story because that's not how the story ends for you. David, you have been affirming women in ministry since then. Yeah? Um, you know, you've affirmed me and, and other, And you've been an advocate for women. True. And that, that was encouraging to me. The reason it encouraged me because I'm like all of you because there are moments in our life when we all we have an opportunity to do the right thing and we don't do the right thing. We do the convenient thing, we do the, uh, the realistic thing, the practical thing. And it, it was an encouragement to me because I'm reminded of all the people in the New Testament who had an opportunity to be courageous but chose to be less than courageous. But the thing I read is that Jesus has kept blessing, he just kept blessing people into discipleship and to obedience to him as opposed to condemning them. He didn't go out and get new disciples that they let him down. You know? I mean, think about it. At the Easter on the resurrection, on Resurrection Sunday, it was women who showed up. He didn't say, go home. He said, go tell. They were the first women preachers. And the men were nowhere, but Jesus didn't give up on them. He just kept going to them and kept giving them new opportunities to preach and to get it right. That's the beautiful thing. So these beatitudes not only occur to those who are knocked down and knocked out, but also to those who make the wrong decisions. Blessed are you when you take the check, because I'm not going to give up on you either, because the kingdom, I am for you. I'm going to keep being for you until you do the right thing. When Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, he's not talking about Christians. He's talking about anyone who stands up for the rights of those who have been trampled on and left out and left behind. The dropouts, the drug heads, the poor, the immigrant, the refugee. I mean, for anybody that doesn't get a fair shake in this life and doesn't get an opportunity. That's what it's These beatitudes are not for spiritual heroes. They are though for those who have been victimized and abused and let down. And so when he gets down here to the end, what he's saying here is, I've talked about all this stuff now. If you want to be my disciple, it means you're going to be put in situations. I'm going to open your eyes to pain and suffering in the world. And when you see it, I don't want you to just talk about it. I want you to do something about it. And we sometimes, we say, you know, why did Jesus die on the cross? He died on the cross for the sins of the world, and we universalize that message. And that is true. But we forget that the reason they killed Jesus, why did they kill Jesus? It wasn't because of what Jesus believed. It's because of what he did. He could have gone around talking about all the things he believed, and they never would have done anything to him. But it was until he started touching lepers, 
healing the paralyzed, forgetting the sins of those who have been ostracized and calling them clean until they began condemning, condemning religious, the religious powers that be. It was then that they, the Romans would have had nothing to do with Jesus if religious people hadn't put him on the door. So if we're going to be religious people, let's be on the right side that affirm people rather than using our religious convictions to condemn and to judge people. That's, that, you know, but that's not so easy. It's not so easy to do the right thing. Let me drive a stake in the ground here. Social justice, social justice, meaning advocating for the poor and for anyone marginalized, is a Christian tradition, not a liberal political agenda. It's not a conservative political agenda either. It's not conservative or liberal. It's just Jesus' agenda. Sometimes in the church people say, don't talk about those things. Like, you know, be silent, be quiet, because it's political. It's not political, it's Jesus. And, you know, if we're in the sanctuary and we're not talking about what's happening in the world and asking what is it God's doing, we're really not accomplishing anything we're just singing songs and doing nothing, accomplishing nothing. We've got to create a space where we can talk about things that lead us to probe scriptures and to ask questions and to serve. Okay. Let me give you an example. Here's an example. This is what I think it looks like. So you see the, the, the man standing next to me. His name is Ali, and that's his wife, Selma. They're from Sudan. I said, how did you get here from Sudan? We fled violence. We fled the violence in Sudan. Violent, bloody, we were fearing for our family. We came here, and they have three very, very normal, hyper-energetic, sugar-loaded boys. They were running around, the, they were running around the, the construction site. This was the blessing of their family and the blessing of their home. On Wednesday, there was no house there. On Friday, there was a house. This is a significant event because we were there to bless them, and the Bless the Home. We're partnering with Habitat for Humanity. Our church is one of the lead partners in an interfaith build project. And about two years ago, the woman that's on the right, she is the cantor from one of the synagogues in town, Knezareth, Israel. And I were in a group talking about the way that immigrants are, are being demonized through rhetoric and, and hated upon. And sometimes Christians are even getting behind that language. We said, what can we do about that? And so someone said, why don't we build a house for a refugee family and get the Muslim community, the Christian community, and the Jewish community to do it together, all three Abrahamic traditions, and to build a house. Well, two years later, this dream has become real. That's really exciting to me to know that three boys and their mother and father who have fled violence have come to America for freedom. He, he got up on, i tell you what, he should... Uh, be talking about what America is about because he understands. He gets up and talks about freedom and how we're loved here. We have an opportunity. We have, it was awesome to hear him just promote the, the wonderful things about where we live. He gets it. It was wonderful. And there then, Sharon and the man in the middle who represents the Muslim community, then I were there. We all prayed Christian prayers. There was an Islamic prayer. There was a Jewish prayer. All these kinds of things. And you know, I just thought that would make, I mean, Jesus really happy. Because sometimes I don't think Jesus cares if it's a Muslim helping somebody or a Jewish. He just wants people to be helped. You know, he doesn't draw the hard lines that we sometimes draw. And you know, you don't have, you, all kinds of people can do righteous things. 
right? And I think we have a lot more in common than we have. That, start, that To me, that just feels like the right, the right thing for us to be doing. Now, I want to point out one other thing. I'm just in the picture because I showed up to pray, but I didn't do anything. I mean, I showed up and I walked around a work walk site and talked to people. I don't accomplish anything. <laughs> I painted for two minutes and I'm in the picture and standing in front of you. But I want to point out who, I want to point out who's not up there. The members of our church who made, who made uh, sandwiches, John and Margaret Kearns. Uh, Butch and Margaret who were there, Butch and Margaret were there who, who show up for every work site. We had 20 people there. Uh, Cole Godby, one of our uh, seniors in high school, was there painting boards. Denise Ward. We had 20 people on the job site doing that work. So I don't want to allude to that. It's our church that's doing the work. And I want to say that it just makes my heart so happy when I show up and see a house and realize, gosh, it's great to be a part of a church that understands the vision of what it means to love people. We need more of this in the world. We need, we need to be more of this in the world. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you do the right thing. When you're about the things that I care about. It's more about what we do than what we say. And, when I, and, and so it was so exciting to be a part of this. I mean, people from the neighborhood just started coming out, you know. And, and uh, uh, Margaret gave a bunch of sandwiches away to family. A woman, her grandma has about 12,000 kids. She gave away all the sandwiches. It's just a beautiful thing. You know, I, I don't have anything else to say other than just say, isn't it great when love wins? Isn't that a great thing? We all get the opportunity every day to decide who we want to be who we want to be and what we're going to do, how we want to serve. And every day, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we do our best, but he's just going to keep blessing us into obedience. Amen?